If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Wild Tales podcast. I'm Jason Fox, and this series is all about adventure, resilience, and inspirational humans. The podcast is presented by the Book of Man and in partnership with Talisker, the single malt whiskey made by the sea. My guest today is Lock Smith, or Lockie. Now you'll know him as a member of the award-winning chart-topping band Rudimental. You may also know him as one of the top contenders, in fact, one of the winners on the latest Celebrity SAS Who Dares Wins. In the podcast, we talk about growing up in Hackney, family, training, and where he got his resilience from. Now we're still in lockdown, so this episode was again recorded remotely. Hopefully we'll be back to normal soon. In the episode, we answer some questions that you've asked me on Instagram. I'm going to be sending a bottle of Talisker to the top question. Here we go. Hope you enjoy it. So here we are, the man, the myth, the legend, Lockie Locksmith. Um, the One of the finishers of the very recent celebrity SAS Who Dares Wins. And what an achievement that is, because it is brutal. But before we move on to that, because it will be part of the... Part of the chat today, Lockie. Yes, how mate. You, let's let's hear Locksmith's take on lockdown. How, oh. how, are, you, how are you coping? <laughs> That's you did that. <laughs> I hope they can see your face. <laughs> I hope they can see your facial expressions as well. Because <laughs> you're probably chuffed with yourself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good. Lockdown. Um, lockdown's been all right with me. I've just approached it as another challenge. To be honest with you. Um, there's been points where I've wanted to get out of the house and just fly away like a bird and be free. But at the same time, it is what it is. I think the biggest challenge of it all is the kids. Um, having hit yours. Like every five minutes, it's, can I have a snack? Can I do this? And you're trying to constantly find new and innovative ways of entertaining them and, yeah and keeping them sort of like, you know, motivated and physically active. And it can be a bit jarring at times, as much as I love my 10 year old as well, you know, but I think that's been the biggest challenge to be honest with you. Yeah. Thing is, it's like, um, normally they go to school, so there's a different environment, but there is no change in environment, is there? I think, I think that's, that's the biggest problem as well. And the social interaction with their peers of their own age. So the the mere fact that they just got bundles of energy and nowhere to put it, it's just like it's like, it's all on you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been a difficult one. But we're getting through it. Exercising, all the Joe Wicks yeah. up and that that's that's helped. Um, yeah, yeah. Getting outdoors uh, on the bikes and stuff that's great. But yeah, um, lockdown for me, it, it's been it's been busier. I don't know about you, but me, it's like the whole music industry is doing my nutting at the minute because they're all sitting they're all sitting on their hands coming up with new bright ideas for you to do and they're just throwing things at you left right and center Um, yeah yeah i guess busy's good i'm not complaining mate to be fair i'm i'm the same i'm i've been saying to people i'm like i I can't wait for these you know whoever's to to go to go to go back to work (laughs) trust me go back then it all sort of like everything does slip into place and i know it's been a difficult time for many many people but 
Yeah. God, normality is calling. It yeah, is calling. Definitely. I'll never take it for granted again. Yeah, big time. But um mate, on whilst we're still on that, how have you found the um the homeschooling? There's a lot of people that have they, they've struggled with it. Yes, um it's a difficult one. Um my little boy's mum, she's a teacher. So so that helps. But at the same time, it's, it's, the kids don't like to listen to you. It's like when I when I try to do a bit of football training with my boy, it's like we, we constantly knock heads. And then as soon as his coach comes in and says exactly the same things I've been saying, he takes it on board and he's listening and this, that and the other. So that kind of element of it is kind of difficult. Um, yeah. I think the key here is not to make it too much of a structure. Because if you do that, especially in the one environment that they're in, it's just going to be frustrating, not only for your kid, but for yourself. And that's, that's, yeah. that's what it's been like for, for us, to be honest. Um, mm. But yeah, he's, he's been good. We do like three hours a day, no more. And then he gets a chance to do whatever he wants. But I've got things in place, Foxy. I'm not, ta- I'm not taking no prisoners there. I've got everything in my fridge labelled up with price tags on them because there's a tuck shop in my ass. Because I know what he's like. He will just literally snack out every five minutes. So I've said to him, with the pocket money that he gets, he has to buy anything he wants in the fridge during the school hours. And um, so if he wants toast, that'll cost him 50 pence. Mate, that's awesome. That's, that's People need to be listening to this. I tell you what, you want to trademark that before this goes out. All right, otherwise. trust me. Tuck shop. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm on the copyright already. <laughs> The Locksmith Tuck Shop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I know you're into training, uh, you know, in a big way. What have uh, what have you been doing? What's your regime? I know you've got a decent... I know, and I'm jealous <laughs> of the fact that you've got, you've got a decent pull-up bar. Yeah, no, I've got a wicked pull-up bar in the garden. Um, that's one of my faves. Now, I'm, I'm more into sort of like the body-weighted exercises anyway, rather than just going in the gym and doing the heavy lifting and whatnot, which I do love as well, but it can be mm. a bit monotonous. With the body weight stuff, you can take it anywhere, you know, that you don't exactly. just have to be restricted to a gym. And that's something I've been doing for years, especially being on tour with Rudimental. You're all over the world. And sometimes you're in these remote locations where you've got no facilities to train whatsoever. So you've got to make it up yourself. So that has come in handy whilst being in lockdown the whole body weight experience and the rest of the are the rest of the, just something i'm interested in are the rest of the rudimental crew are they into are they into the exercise it's so funny because i got asked a question the other day how would the rest of the rudimental boys um react or cope with being on sas who dares wins and i just couldn't stop laughing the four of them getting involved in anything like it is just hilarious you got kezzy who we used to play football together i think Football, anything to do with football, he's fine. But when it comes outside of that, you really, you really needs like a kick up the ass to do anything extra. Pears is a yeah. no go. He's just, uh, he's a, he's hippified and loves life. And then you've got a mayor who's just <coughs> doesn't even know how to spell gym, let alone go to one. <laughs> so uh, it'll be really interesting to see that happen. Yeah, maybe that's the next thing. Um, <laughs> right, mate. As with all of these because we want people to go on a journey, your journey. What we're going to do now is we're going to sort of go right back to you giving us insight into your into your youth. Yeah. How, how, how was it growing up in the, in the 
around the streets of Hackney. <laughs> East London Hackney. What a place. Look, man, East London Hackney made me who I am. You know, you've got so many cultures, um, so many things going on, so many different types of people that you're just exposed to so many different things. I've, I've always said, coming from Hackney, growing up in Hackney, or even in, in a city, London, you can go anywhere else in the world and adapt. And that's been the case for me, especially going on tour around the world. Growing up in um, London, especially Hackney, was difficult on the streets and that. My home life was amazing. Um, my mum did the best job possible um, as a single mother um, of three, me and my two sisters. Um, yeah, just the, the streets were hard, man. It's just, I, I've seen some really horrible stuff. And I, I, and I know you have, but... No, no, it's, it's different. It's different. Yeah. It's yeah. on your own doorstep. No, that's it, exactly. And, you know, with my dad not being around, that kind of left me mentally in a no-man's land and I didn't really know who I was and I was trying to find out who I was for a long time. And I've always said that football and music helped me massively. Um, the fact that I didn't make it as a footballer, I blamed my dad for years and that was a big issue for me. Um, falling back on music wasn't so bad because it got me to where I was today. And you got to think, like, if I didn't grow up in Hackney, I wouldn't have met the rest of the rudimental boys. We've known each other since we were five years old, you know, and we, we shared the same interest. Um, football, music, you know, chasing the same girls, you name it, we, we did it. And, um, yeah, man, so I, I, was, I was convinced from an early age that I wanted to make it or whatever I wanted to do on my own. I, I felt like I needed to be self-sufficient. Sorry, and that's what the streets taught me is that you have to be able to look after yourself. I remember yeah. moving out when I was 16, and I ended up living in one of the worst uh, estates in, in Hackney, probably in London. It was called Pembury Estate. And I remember <laughs> it was horrible. I remember one day we woke up and we just woke up off the back of hearing some noises. and. We were just like, what the hell's going on out here? And we went outside to see what the commotion was. And there was a kid lying on the ground and he'd literally been stabbed to death. Like just literally in our very eyes, a pool of blood. And I'm not trying to glamorize it, not trying to say that, you know, my situation is far worse than most because I've been to some serious ghettos around the world and it's like, you know, it's a lot worse. But waking up to see that, and then you're going around the corner and I hate this memory. It stays in my head for such a, like, forever. It will stay in my head forever. I remember just walking down the alley and on the same night, there was a baby lying on the floor, like a newborn baby. And, like, you look at Hackney now and look how gentrified it is. People are probably listening to this and thinking, wait a minute, there's multi-million pound houses in that place. How How was it like that? But that's that, that summed up how... We were growing up, you know, and it wasn't on a daily occurrence. It was just we were exposed to those kind of things. And I feel that gave me the grit and the determination, the desire to better myself. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's a good thing to come out of a bad sort of situation, really, isn't it? And in and, and a bad environment. But, mate, yeah, just I, I, sh I should know this and I don't. How old are you now? I'm 33. 33. 33. So when you were, like, growing up on the, on the, on the streets... Um, <laughs> Was it was it a lot like I I remember me I I grew up in Luton just just a bit further north right and, um, yeah yeah 
we 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 were allowed to play out till God, you know. Like, yeah, that, God that's... knows what time. You're just cutting around doing your own thing, really. How mad is that? It's like yeah. I believe that when I was growing up, it was a lot worse than it is now. Mm. Yet, when we were growing up, there was a sort of community spirit still installed. You know, um, you're you'd be friends with your local news agent owner. Um, people would look out for one another or if something did happen your mum would hear about it before you got home kind of thing so (laughs) with that said we were allowed to stay out a lot longer and just get up to mischief and uh, luckily we came back all right now I think about it like you know with my son being a parent now would I do I feel comfortable leaving my son out there now I don't I don't know I don't think I do and I don't know why um I don't know. I, just, it's crazy. I think uh, even even in this the short time that we've sort of like grown up into, well, it's not that short a time, <laughs> but <laughs> you know. But um, I think there's like, especially in places like London, the population has just gone boom yeah. through the roof, and I think there's Definitely. just a lot more people. So there's there's less of that community feel sometimes because there's just Definitely. there's just too many people. No, but um, yeah. So um, have you? Um, Leading on a little bit more, have yeah, you always have you always been into music? Yeah, um, always been into music and obviously heavily passionate about it, especially to have done it this long. But growing up, my first love was football. And I think it's the same for so many young boys and girls out there. Growing up, you fall in love with football before you know what love is, you know, before my son was born, before my first love with my girlfriend or whatever. Uh, it was football. And that was my passion. And that kind of ran alongside parallel to music because music was always there. And with that said, the, the first time that I ever got into music was me begging my mum to buy me a pair of turntables. And, you know, my mum being a single mother, I've asked her for the top of the range decks at the time. They were like Technique 1210s. And I'm, I must have been about 12 years old. I had no right to have them. I had, no. I, had, I had a pair. Did I you have a, a pair, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was a bit older, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm saying, Foxy. Like, I had no right to have them. Like, they, you could have probably found those pair decks in any nightclub, any radio station. They were proper high-end. They were the ones to have. Yeah. I begged my mum to have them. And on my birthday's on Christmas Day. I was like, the shittest birthday ever. You've got to share it with the rest of the world. <laughs> so uh, I remember running upstairs Christmas Day and my mum saying look I couldn't afford it and like too right she <laughs> it was expensive it was ludicrous yeah she said she couldn't afford it um so I was like you know a bit disappointed I was being a bit spoiled the one day of the year that was you know meant to be for me humbled on downstairs you know you want to do one of them cries where you cry in your pillow and all that nonsense and then lo and behold I looked in the chest of drawers and uh, they were there I don't know how she pulled it out of the bag they were there Mate, that's awesome and, awesome. and ever since then I never looked back and I think she was it was kind of one of those yeah keep you off the street for a little bit because it did um and I kept scratching all her vinyls as well on her turntable <laughs> and that was doing her nothing I'm talking like classics like Marvin Gaye records and, and Neil yeah, yeah. Baker and all that and she, she used to get proper angry so yeah that was her way of uh that was her investment in me and you know 
I think it's paid off. She, yeah, she just dug deep to save her own vinyl collection. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Um, mate, the 12 turns were brilliant. I have to say, it was actually uh, Ollie, Ollie Ollerton. They were his yeah. decks. And then when he oh, decided, and, and then basically passed them over to me, like, he sort of like handed them on. And it was like <laughs> was this ritual. Yes, yeah, so it was these ritual that came across of all this vinyl and that. And I was, and then, oh mate, it was terrible because I, I had the amp, I had the mixer and all of this. And yeah, yeah. I ended up, I ended up selling it all. Oh so no. Could... <laughs> what did Ollie say to that? Well, mate, it disappeared by this stage. But when when we met back up, like you know, yeah, yeah, not, yeah, that, yeah. not not that long ago, he was like, "Mate, you still got the you still got the twelve tens." And I'm like, "Mate, <laughs> mate, I've got I've got a confession to make." So yeah, oh, I love but, that, um, love that, love that. Weirdly, we both bought some new decks, this new digital sort of stuff. No, no, recently. I've seen it, I've seen it, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah good yeah. on you, so, um, love it. Yeah, mate, it's good. It's good to get back into that. I mean, we're not very good, but it's a good crap. Um, <laughs> Mate, did you have any sort of like, what was your inspiration in music? Who do you have any like role models that you looked up to as a, youth, a youngster? Yeah, um, definitely. There was a lot of role models. Um, I used to look up to Ashley Waters a lot when I was younger, growing up. And you know, the funny thing is, I I didn't, I wasn't really too heavily into sort of like so solid, but I was I was heavily into sort of the 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 whole culture of that vibe of being part of a team. And yeah, yeah. I, I always loved that, you know, coming from a footballing background and being in a band with my boys. I love the fact that you look after each other and you look, you have someone's back. And I just, I love the fact that So Solid had that. I love the um, Roll Deep from East London that consists of Wiley at one point, consists of Dizzy as well. Um, a lot of my role models at that particular time were, people of my own age but they kind of accelerated a lot further in the music than I did at that particular moment so they felt like they were older um and then you had the likes of you know when you cross the waters the Dr. Dre's of the world you yeah, know yeah, yeah. that kind of thing and Buster Rhymes and the thing is about Rudimental as well our influences are so far and wide if you listen to our albums they're they're not genre specific you know, it's like you've got drum and bass, you've got house, you've got a bit of um, R&B in there and you just fuse all those flavours together off the back of listening to Lauren Hill, Marvin Gaye, you know, and Earth, Wind and Fire. And then you just get rudimental, if you like. And that that's where our influences really come from. Yeah, I, I, I like all the stuff that you've just been talking about. I, I where, where I grew up, we used to, for some reason, ask all the schools in the area, we were like big into like NWA, Public Enemy, yeah, all that sort of there stuff. There you go, exactly. And what and what's been good recently is that new Netflix series about um, Michael Jordan's come out, and it's sort oh, of like I need to watch this. Yeah, it's it's starting to bring back all those memories of being about yeah, being yeah, at school yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and begging my mum for a pair of Air Jordans and her telling me to <laughs> fuck off because they're too expensive. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, man. You know all those. All those type of genres and those type of music and sort of like the crews and the culture, it's sad because I feel like it's it's not existent anymore. And I'm in the music industry and it's something that heavily frustrates me. I think we're one of the few that are left that are sort of got that culture, got that band and come from a real, real place. Um, but yeah, I, I hope it comes back. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, hopefully. We'll see. Keep it going. Yeah. Um, 
Mate, what's how long has for people out there? How long has Rudimental been going on for, and what's your journey with them been? How's it all? How did it all formulate? How did it come to fruition? Yeah, so it's a bit of a bromance story, to be honest with you. I mentioned it a bit earlier, where you know we grew up when we was like five years old. I first met Piers in infants, and he had long hair. Like he got mistaken for a girl. I remember a guy trying to kiss him once at five years old. <laughs> and and that, that was my introduction to Piers because I had to break him up. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> He's a guy. Um, and yeah, and then I met Kezi later on from then. And it was actually us three together, Kezi, Piers and myself. And we grew up um, listening to music and we started making music around about 12 years old 13 years old Piers his dad was a musician and he used to go around to pubs all over the UK and just play out with um his band and he had this made made up uh or makeshift uh studio in his in his house and we used to go over there and we used to make beats and whatnot and I used to have I, I used to have my decks in my house and all the local boys, MCs would come to my house and they they used to call it the basement. I used to have like 20 MCs in my bedroom. It was about the size of this room. Eh? It was just like heaving and they'll be rapping and we'll be DJing, playing some of our songs. And it was, it was just like a good vibe. And that's where it kind of stemmed from that kind of pirate radio station culture. We eventually got onto one of the pirate radio stations. It was called Deja Vu. Um, and that was like uh, one of the biggest pirate radio stations alongside Rinse FM at the time. And it had Wiley, Dizzy Rascal, Nasty Crew, like you name it, they were on it. And it was just like a big thing for us to be on there. And people didn't quite get us because we were so eclectic. But at the same time, our numbers were great. The listenership was great. And we kept like making music and our music was doing well in the underground scene. And, you know, you're constantly just, waiting for something to connect and it didn't connect for a long time i remember when we were about 18 19 i was still working a nine to five um as a learning mentor in secondary school um playing semi-professional football and spending all my nights in the studio um making music and you know just with the boys and you know it wasn't until we made a track i remember i mentioned pembury estate we were in Pembury Estate. Kezi came to live with me there and created a song called Feel the Love. Um, made that song. We were singing on it. And I remember taking it to the studio with the rest of the boys and like we were going nuts, crazy, just tearing off our clothes, trashing the place. We was like, this is a hit. This is the track that's going to make us. It's going to be crazy. And then... We left that track in the studio for two years. Like, you know, you just had those moments where it's like, oh, this is amazing, crazy. And then it just, that moment's gone because no one's picked up, no one's heard it. Um, and it stayed, in, it stayed in the hard drive for two years. Um, and let's fast forward two years later from that moment, we ended up in a pub and we could hear this guy singing. And because like we've grown up with each other pretty much all our lives, we're so in, in tuned with each other. When we hear when we hear music, we, we often like the same music. Um, and if we don't, we convince each other why we should like it. And we end up on the same path. And we heard this voice in the back, background. And we all just like stopped drinking for a minute, looked at each other and we said, you know that track we made like a couple of years ago? This guy will sound sick on it. And behind us, it was John Newman. 
And it was like, we got him over as soon as he stopped playing. He had a guitar. He was doing like a little acoustic session. He was like, look, mate, we need to get you in the studio. We've got a perfect track for you. Um, and then you fast forward like another few years. Um, we ended up meeting a mayor, the fourth and final member of the band. And Feel the Love got heard by all the record labels. And it started traveling around like wildfire. And everyone wanted a piece of piece of us. And yeah. The rest is history. So I'll say for me to get to this point now, probably about two decades. <laughs> and no, no one really no one really sees that. From the success no. we've had from our first track, probably about ten years. Yeah. So was it was it ten years ago? Uh it's crikey, yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah, yeah. it's about it's about eight, yeah, about eight years, but ten years ago from the finished product of Field of Love and yeah, so yeah. Nearly a decade ago, man. It How time a, flies. It is a monumental track, though, isn't it? I mean, no, yeah. Like, I don't get me wrong. I can't listen to it in a car. Can't listen to it at home. It does my fucking nothing. <laughs> but when I get on stage and like I'm playing in front of thousands of people, and that song comes up, I've just got nothing but respect for the song. I know I'm like in third person mode, but mate, the song without it, I wouldn't be here. You know what I mean? Talking to you. Yeah. Mate, talk to, I mean, that's been quite a bit of a nostalgic chat there for myself as well, especially when you were talking about the early, early days of the, your music career with the, with the pirate radios and that. And I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm not like, I'm not advocating pirate radio stations, by the way, but I used to <laughs> love the, I used to love the, there was one down in Luton called Power FM. And I think Power it was uh, Power, Power FM. And I think it was like, I think it used to get pumped out of a, out of a flat in a, in an estate called the Marsh Farm Estate, and uh, I, I could be wrong there, but I remember listening well, it to it as a kid. Sounds about right, mate. It sounds yeah. about right. Yeah, it was also you used to used to listen to the, the you know the used to listen it was, radio. You know, the yeah, quality, yeah, yeah. yeah, the quality wasn't too good, but you used to like every now and again on the odd weekend you'd hear them getting raided and yeah, stuff. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And it's just yeah. those kind of moments that just make it so magical because, like, we didn't have internet back then. Or if you did have it in there, it was like really slow dial-up. It didn't, it didn't matter if you had it or not. Um, so the only way you heard about sort of like new raves to go to, new music, was through radio. And I remember my first radio station I ever went on to, was, again, it was a pirate radio station. It was in a flat, an abandoned flat that squatters were living in. And it had mattresses all around the walls to try and suppress the sound from going outside. And that's, 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 that's where rudimental kind of stemmed from. <laughs> a, a flat decorated in mattress. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, mate, what's, what is it like when you're on stage live and you, like those moments, especially with, you know, banging out those massive tracks, what does it feel like? I'd, I'd, I'd love to know what it's like. Mate, it's, uh, it's an out of body experience. It's one that you probably, I probably couldn't describe with enough adjectives or give it justification. Um, it's so hard to describe. When you're there and you see a sea of people singing along to your songs, you've got nothing but goosebumps, but then you've got to realize, wait a minute, I'm here to put on a show as well. So it's, it's, I was talking to the rest of the boys about it. I was just like, why is it when we're on stage and, you know, our shows are going perfectly uh, fine and it's just like a great show, probably some of our best shows, and I can't remember what's happened. 
Like I get off stage and I literally can't remember what's happened. However, when we go on stage and I like, you know, something goes wrong or something negative happens on stage, I come off stage after the show and I remember everything, literally everything from what I ate that day to what it was like on stage the, from the minute we left. And, and I think that's a bit what it's like when people ask that question that you've just asked, you, you're probably trying to remember the best show that you've ever done. But it's so difficult to remember because you just, it's an out of body experience and it's just like yeah. you're floating. What sort of, what, are there any fit, funny things that have gone wrong? <laughs> Mate. <laughs> Mate, how much time do you have? <laughs> let's just let's just pick let's just pick one or two. I remember the early stages, you know, when we didn't really have enough money to uh, take out a live band. Because what you got to remember, rudimental don't we don't sing. Uh, we write our own music and then we go out and we look for singers. So on a live show, we have to get singers in and we have to get like other musicians as well to play instruments that we can't play. Uh, for example, brass section, drummers and whatnot. So it costs a lot of money. So in the first initial stages, we didn't have a drummer because we was like, you know what, we're going to cut that cost because that's going to be a lot to travel all over the UK and the world. Uh, we'll have some of the the drums playing out a backing track. We'll use a computer to play the drums coming out and we will play our instruments on top of it. Now, you've heard a rudimental track and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening have heard a rudimental track. It, our music heavily relies on the drums, you know, the build up, the euphoria of like the bass and whatnot coming in. So I remember we had a show in Bristol and I think we were supporting Maverick Sabre at the time. And, you know, you, you've got all the musical elements of it. You've got us on our keys and whatnot. And uh, you've got a bit of the brass section playing what they're playing and you could imagine feel the love building up into sort of like the chorus, the big drop bit, and you got none of the drums came. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss the computer completely failed on us so we've got these big drops and like there's no drums whatsoever so you could imagine me on stage going nuts with a mic in my hand going yeah let's go and then bam it's like we're doing acoustics of like the, all our tracks 
and you're thinking, oh, it's just got to be that one track. So it's the one track that does it. And then the next track that does it and the third track that does it. And you're like, oh my God, this is an absolute nightmare. <laughs> and I'm looking at the crowd. And the thing is, the crowd are like looking at you as if to say, what is going on? I like it, but I don't know what it is. And I remember coming off stage and I, 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 back then I used to have a massive temper. I, I literally just, <laughs> <laughs> just trashed like, the whole changing room. And um, I remember looking back at tweets and everyone was like, oh, I absolutely love the show, but why were they doing an acoustic version of all their tracks? <laughs> I just, yeah, it, was just, it was a fucking nightmare. <laughs> oh, mate. I can imagine I'd lose my shit on that stuff. <laughs> yeah. all, it's all those things like that that I just, yeah, yeah does my head in. Um, mate, do you like being on tour? Oh, I got a love hate relationship with tour, you know. Um, I love the fact that I get to see so many different places, um, so many different countries, so many different cultures, people, and play in front of some amazing crowds, you know. Like, I've gone to some places that even if I did have enough money, I know myself, I probably wouldn't travel, um as much as I have done or had the luxury of doing with Rudimental. And that side of it is, is amazing. But I'm a very homely person, you know. I get homesick very quickly. Um, I miss my boy tremendously, as a lot of people have seen on SAS Who Dares Wins. Um, so that, 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 that has some strain on me. I can remember one incident where we was uh, touring with Ed Sheeran in America and we were supporting him. And it was an amazing tour, but it literally went on for two and a half months. Wow. Just just literally on the road. Um, and you kind of lose a sense of reality when you're on the road. Because sometimes you're like, you just, you end up, um, I don't know, you're in LA and then you wake up and then you're in San Diego or something. It's just it's just, just like, wow. It's, you feel like you've been time traveling or something. You, you really ain't got a clue of where you are. And all those stresses were sort of like starting to take its toll. It started off good, but then started to take its toll. And I can't remember. In fact, I think it was, I think it might have been LA actually. We ended up and um, I was just missing the family. And I, it's, it's, it's mad how the similarities are so similar to the tricks that you guys tried to do with us on SAS with letting us have that video call with, you know, our family member and how yeah. fucked up that can be when you're in a dark place, um, a million miles away from your family. And I remember receiving a call FaceTime with my boy and, you know, it was a great call and I wish it wasn't, but it was a great call and it just put me in a downward spiral went on stage, um, mumbling most of my my words that I was saying on stage. It's a good show, luckily. And I remember David Beckham came like um, after the show, and he was like, "That was a great show." And I I didn't even acknowledge him then because that's how <laughs> that's how upset I was. You have those moments on tour. It's not as glamorous as it looks like. As it looks, you don't often get to see the countries that you visit. You know, you're you're living in and out of hotel rooms and tour buses and airports and I think airport security is the one that winds me up the most it's because you do it so many times within one day or one week or a month it's just like taking out the same shit all the time it's just it's Groundhog it just, Day it sucks up so much time doesn't it there's an old story about Ian Wright when he used to play at West Love Ham me. yeah <laughs> he got he, I, I don't know him but I just, yeah. you know obviously being a gooner you know. yeah yeah of course but um 
But um, there was one when he was playing for West Ham in the early days, and he got sent off, didn't he? Apparently, yeah. And he sort of he said he walked up the um, up the tunnel. tunnel. He's like, "Fuck this, I'm going." And then he just sort of suddenly stopped, looked to one side, and there was the referee's changing room. <laughs> and, then it, and, then, and then apparently, the way he tells the story, I've seen it on telly. He um, he just couldn't remember anything else after that. But apart from when he got home, Harry Redknapp's phoning him up, going, "What the fuck? <laughs> get get your ass back here now!" Anyway, yeah, it's a bit, that's that's what your little dip there about Ed Sheeran oh, reminded me. Oh, definitely, definitely. You had these black hats, mate. <laughs> <laughs> mate, out, you know. Probably one of the biggest parts of your life. I know it's a part that you're probably the most proud of. Is uh, you know when you first became a dad. Yeah. How how, how did that change, Locksmith? Oh, it changed me massively. Um, I got a tattoo on my arm that says Leonidas is my savior because I truly believe that the the guy you're speaking to now is not the guy <laughs> who who was running around the streets of Hackney, getting up to no good getting into scraps every weekend and I, I literally mean every weekend that I'm not that guy anymore but that's the guy I was before Leonidas was was born and he gave me a sense of uh, responsibility that I massively needed I truly believe he saved my life and without him I don't think I, you know I don't I don't think I would have got past 25 without probably being dead or in prison somehow you know and you have these moments in your life where you're just grateful that you know either somebody or a role model or you know a son or a daughter comes into your life and helps change you for the for the better I know it's things like my temper my patience that all timmering simmering down rather and uh, I, I was able to sort of like not let the stresses of the world get to me as much as they they did before he was born um and yeah it was it was tough because I was 23 when he was born mm. um I had about 100 quid left in my pocket before we got signed uh well Field of Love got signed and I, I didn't really know how I was going to do it but I knew that I was going to do it and yeah thankfully he he helped me get to to where I am now awesome did it was it did it like happen overnight? You, you know that 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 change in your your, your oh, approach to life, oh, mate. The the literally the moment you know your missus is pregnant and she's telling you to run downstairs, one of the worst estates in the world, to go to the off licenses to pick up Vinetta, the ice cream, because that's her bloody. You know what do they the, call it when they're pregnant? The, cra- the craving, craving, yeah, yeah, that's a craving. And you're having to do shit like that, and you know you have to start doing selfless acts. <laughs> <laughs> it's from that moment you start realizing, wait, this is changing me instantly. And then when when you're in when you're in the, the hospital and the baby the baby comes, it's just, I think it is an instant thing. You know, you're looking into the eyes of the baby. I know it sounds soppy, but it is, it is what it is. You know, I cried and I was just like, I'm going to do everything in my power to, you know, give you the best possible trials, uh, chance at life. And that just changed me instantly. Mm. Awesome. And now you've got, a, you got, you got, a, you got another one. Yeah, baby girl. I think, I think <laughs> I'm done. 
mixing it up. <laughs> yeah, mixing it up. <laughs> yeah, she's gorgeous. She's uh, she's gonna be a bit of a diva, but she's a uh, <laughs> she's a good one. Awesome, mate. Let's start. Let's get on to um, the thing you've just finished. Ah. The, the the thing you've just won. People say won. We like to say finishes. I but think finish sounds better. <laughs> finishes, yeah, you know, because it's, it's a, it is an achievement to do that. Um, mate, how did you um, how did you get into it? How did you get convinced or find out that you were going to be able to get on to SAS Uday's wins? You know, I've always had this element of me that wanted to push myself beyond my boundaries, beyond my limits. And when I found out that, you know, I could be possibly going on a show, I was like, I have to jump at this. I have to definitely, it's, it's, it's right up my street. And the funny thing about sort of like TV and me being in my position, I turned down every TV opportunity, literally. I don't do any, TV or any reality side of TV or all those kind of shows. I was just like, fuck that, I'm not getting involved in that. But when this came knocking at my door, I was like, I have to I have to do this. This is everything that I feel inside of me. I'll be more than capable of doing it. Although when <laughs> on the first fucking day that we were there, on the hour, I was like, what the fuck have I got myself into? <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if I'm capable. I don't know what I was thinking. But I remember like being about 16, 17 and, you know, I was uh, at college. Football wasn't doing what I wanted it to do or I wasn't making it. And I said to myself, look, if I don't make it as a footballer, I'm going to go to the army. And, you know, you have them open days at college where yeah. sort of like the army come in, they try and recruit as many youngsters as they possibly can. I was like, I took all the forms. I was ready to sign away. I was, I was like, yep. I want, I want that team feeling because I was always craving for something higher. Like, you know, that, that craving was in, inside of me. And I was, ready to, I was ready to hand in forms. Like, and then I literally, I fell in love. I fell in love and um, we ended up having two kids together. And that kind of steered my path elsewhere and my direction after Leonidas was born. You know, I didn't feel that craving to, you know, for that higher, higher purpose. Mm. Um, but yeah, when, when SAS came knocking on my door and I remember, I think I did, uh, soccer. Yeah, I did. I did soccer aid with Ant, played against him. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I mentioned it to him once, to be fair. I didn't say that I wanted to be on the show because I, I don't really watch TV. I've heard of the show and I was like, this show is sick. I need to sit down and watch it. And I never actually watched it. And I'm thankful I didn't watch it because... If I did, I probably would have said, fuck that again. <laughs> I'm not doing that. But um, yeah, um, I think as soon as, as soon as the opportunity arisen, I was like, yeah, definitely jumping out of here. So I'm, I'm, I'm forever grateful for you guys, uh, for everything that you've, you've given us on the show. Because some people don't realize it. They just, I think a lot of people see it and they're like, oh, that's too brutal. Why are they treating them this way? And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Foxy, but I feel like there's a purpose for everything you guys do on the show you know and the whole sort of breaking you down to the point where you feel like you can't go any further and then reaching and digging deeper for that extra 10 percent 15 percent whatever it is is what the show is all about you know yeah there's a lot of um, yeah mate i really appreciate that because there is a you know there is a lot of sort of um there's opinions that you know it's, it's just a load of lads being nasty, but it's not. Yeah. It's like you've, you've got, you've got, 
it is about self-development, I think, and it's about Definitely. you've got to break it down right to some really gritty places. You know, you've got mm. to go to some sort of dark places to then really find out who you are and how you can deal with sticky situations and it's a it's about becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable isn't it really yeah yeah and 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 that means that we have to act in a way that makes people feel uncomfortable so Mm -hmm. and there is a and there's a reason for everything there always is there's always a reason 100 and you know what like with lockdown now like in full sort of session a lot of people are going to find out a lot about themselves that they never knew you know existed you know, they're going to have to look in the mirror every day and see themselves, spend time with themselves. Mm. You can stare at, you know, your social media all day and pretend to live in that reality. But with lockdown and not having that accessibility to socialise with everyone else, they're going to be faced with themselves. And it's going to be interesting to see how we get out of it the other side. And mm. yeah, it is going to be an interesting. Mm. It's going to be interesting to see the landscape. I was actually... Um, Going on to a bit of the behind-the-scenes stuff with um, SAS. All I right. actually cha- I chatted to Helen Skelton. Oh, yeah. Um, I think it was yesterday. And um, she did mention that you are probably the loudest person when it comes to farting. <laughs> <laughs> she said... She said, "Not only can Rudimental and Lockie knock out tunes, he can knock out <laughs> tunes on in, on his own. On his own. <laughs> All right, mate. Episode five, bloody I, God knows why you lot kept that in, but I, I love you for it. Um, <laughs> the whole farting on Tony's head—that was hilarious, mate. That was awesome. It was when, it, wasn't it? When you were falling onto the, it was on E and E, wasn't it? It was on the yeah, Escape yeah, and Evasion. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was hilarious, man. And that, you know what? The audience probably got about ten percent." Of Tony's reaction. <laughs> he, he went off on one. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Bless him. Love Tony. Mate, I know what the answer to this one's going to be, but I'm going to ask you for the benefit of the others. Cause, and I want, in fact, yeah, go go into this a little bit because, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, do you all have a laugh when the cameras are off? You know, do you, d- d- does it all? Does it just cut and then you just have a bit of a crack and what have you? You know, would, get, bring bring that to life, <laughs> <laughs> mate. I've been on TV sets and um, behind the scenes of some reality TV shows, and you're on there, and you know, there's people waiting for you or hand on hand and foot with cup of teas, you know, wet towel, you know, <laughs> a little wet wipe to wipe your ass if you need to be. Um, and it's so far from that when you jump onto the SAS Who Dares Wins. As soon as you enter, not even the the day where you, you start doing your, your missions or your, your activities, just the day before, there's, a, there's someone there with an envelope and they're not the nicest looking person. They tell you to put your phone in there, put all your electricals in there, and you're not allowed to, you know, have any contact with the outside world. And then you get in, you get into the facility and, um, you know, you, you got the cameramen that are about and none of them are allowed to talk to you. None of them talk to you. Like you, you, you just, gagging for a bit of the outside world interaction and no one's talking to you and no one's like communicating with you or giving you any sympathy or any love whatsoever in fact there was one incident where (laughs) the audio guys came to change our packs and it was me and tony i don't know if you guys probably saw this on camera but if you get to see it please i know i know what you're going to talk about (laughs) carry on on. yeah we was uh we was we we all get arcs to line up and the audio guy wasn't the the nicest looking guy he was 
grim as fuck. And um, <laughs> he literally told us, he just, he said, turn around, put your arms up, quiet, quiet. And it's just like, everything's just so direct and forceful. And you've got to remember, we've probably just been climbing up mountains, done 10Ks, 5Ks, jumping out of helicopters, freezing cold, you know, all this shit. And then you've got someone who's changing your pack. And I remember Tony being like, it'll be all right if you had some fucking manners. <laughs> and like, just literally went into him, like just ripped him a new one. And the audio guy just literally, all the white just came into his face. But that's what it was like. There was no sympathy. There was no one waiting on hand and foot for you. They're, they're very professional. I've got, to, I've got to let you into a secret here. So that guy, yeah. I know who it is. It's a bloke called Sam. And he's, <laughs> he's, basi- he's basically, I've, I've explained this before, but he's basically the floor manager. He's been doing it for quite a while. So he yeah. normally, he interacts with us. He comes in. Yeah. When he comes in, he comes into our dormitory. And I'll tell you what, for the last, I think he's been with us for three years we absolutely annihilate him. <laughs> like, honestly, he's just, he's, he literally walks in so despondent and we're like that, what the fuck? You know, just hurling abuse at him. We have a bit of a laugh. We have a bit of a laugh with him and, and, you know, he's just, he's on constant receive. He's just, on, anyway, he came, he came back in one, one day, it was that day and he was like, he goes, oh my God, he goes, I need protection. He goes, hell, he hates me. He goes, he's, he's gunning for me. He goes, but I'm not allowed to talk to them. I've got be really strict because that's what the bosses say and, and we're like get back in there and he's just like i can't he's like i don't want i don't honestly i don't want to see tony bellew again oh I'm uh, stitches, mate it, i swear to you tony looked like he was about to just fling him up against the wall and i was i, I was angry as well because you know we've been through shit and but, but you know tone man it was hilarious man afterwards i was mate, just laughing mate that 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 went that went like what that spread like wildfire through the crew. The crew were like, that, Sam's gonna get battered by Bellew. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, quality. Um oh, you, still in, you still in touch with um everyone from it, as in you, you Yeah, know, yeah, totally, man. Um I I'm not trying to, you know, sugarcoat it. Like the guys were amazing on there. And that was one of my biggest fears. And, you know, you get, out, you get asked that question, what was your biggest fear before going on? And for me, it was more, it was the heights. I can't, mm. can't deny that massively. I'm scared of heights. I'm probably mm. scared of standing up on a chair too high. You know what I mean? Like, I, I am. I, I, mate, I feel your pain on that. Well, <laughs> yeah, I know you do, mate. <laughs> but another one, not my fear, but just something I was really worried about was the whole social interaction with other people I don't know and not being able to get away from them. And mm. I'm a recluse when I'm at home. I, most, at most I see the rudimental boys and then I come home and I get on with life that way. So that was, that was a, that was a bit of a worry for me. And outside of like, you know, football teams and all that kind of stuff, that, that was a worry for me, but they were amazing. You know, every single one of them, even Fash put me in a headlock <laughs> on that day. <laughs> he, he was still, he was still a good lad and everyone had each other's back. So, um, we've we've like got WhatsApp groups. Um, we t- I talk on the phone to Tony daily. Like clearly one of uh, the crew, one recruits that I got on with uh, yeah. the most. Um, loving to pieces. Um, yeah. So yeah, we talk a lot, man. Awesome. Um, has it helped you in any way? Understand yourself. Has it has it, has it been beneficial? Oh, mate without a doubt without a doubt and that's why i'm so thankful for you guys and what you do not not just 
for having me on the show and people could say, oh, you're on the show because it does this to your profile. I couldn't give two shits about that. For me, it was about myself. Um, like I needed to find out how far I could be pushed. And I didn't actually understand. I didn't think I had any issues, deep rooted issues until I went on the show and, you know, you get stripped bare you, you physically feel like you can't go on anymore and you just question yourself all the time. And then the issues with my dad, that sort of came to the surface and it started making me realize, especially in my early days and like more towards, you know, maybe a year before going on SAS, I was starting to drift back into sort of how I was when I was younger, losing my temper and, you know, just really going off on one and not wanting to, be in the music industry anymore I wanted to quit I, I didn't want to I didn't want to just faff about with all these snobs and the hierarchies that that be um so yeah getting into the SAS and coming out the other side made me learn how to not take things on board too heavily and mm. carry that weight around with you all the time and how you've got to distribute that um not only on yourself but with the people that are close with you talk more you know, those kind of things. Yeah, definitely. Communicate. Um, just quickly, still on SAS. Yeah. Um, mate, episode five, it was brutal, but you put in a mag- you put in a massive shift. And yeah. a- how is the knee? Oh, the knee's cool, man. Um, the knee's good. Like, just to set the record straight with everyone out there, um, the, it was a long, long-term uh, knee injury that I've had for years. Um, however, you know, I didn't want to go down the surgery route. I wanted to put that off for as long as I could, because I still believe I'm going to be a professional footballer at some point. (laughs) 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 And, uh, (laughs) I just, I'm able to maintain it. And you guys gave me all the, all the tools that I needed to maintain that you got, like, allowed me to have my foam roller in. Um, the doctor was on hand and foot. If I had any issues, had a knee bracket as well, but it was just a case of, it was just the uphill and going downhill and it was just one point I just felt it and it was just like mate it was horrific but I managed to get through it and the knees the knees fine now like I'm doing 10k runs all all day every day so yeah I'm in a good place yeah I mean it was I mean that canoe's difficult to carry oh mate how you lot do that you lot are nutters I don't get (laughs) it the the trail was um yeah we picked I mean even me and Ollie we were leading it that that trail was pretty it was, it, was tri- it was tricky, yeah. Yeah. No, but, um, mate, because of that experience, I mean, I don't know how much you did before, but um, are you, um, you going to continue doing stuff in the great outdoors? Mate, before this, I, I, you wouldn't catch me camping, going up mountains, nothing. I'm proper inner-city boy. And after doing this show... I'm just, I've just got that craving to just be up on mountain, like test my limits as much as I possibly can. And I definitely want to get outside more. And that's something I probably deprived from my boy. And I'm glad that I've done the show because now I've got that kind of insight into it um, Mm. that I want to share with him because it just opens your mind up. And it's the sense of freedom as well, man. Yeah, there is, there is a big sense of freedom. Mate, when, when it all goes back to normal, maybe we should get a, Get a little mini expedition around the UK in with your with your lad. No, you're all right, mate. I'm not coming nowhere near you. 
<laughs> Mate, we um get the get we get listeners to send in um question requests and um there's always loads that come through. There's been a lot that's come through for you. Um I'm gonna keep it lighthearted to be honest, and I'm gonna ask you. This is from um Victor Victor underscore Saki thirty. And it is what's the food you get served like? What's the worst thing they fed you on the show? So not on tour, because I'm sure you get lashed right up. On SAS Who Dares Wins, what was the worst thing that we we gave you? No, you know what? I think it's just got to be the dry rice. Like the rice was just horrific. It was so dry, so mundane. It was like boring. Yeah, sandpaper in your mouth, really. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the answer to that one. There wasn't, if I'm honest, there isn't an awful lot that they get given. To be fair, yeah, it's pretty. I could imagine pretty bo- bog standard. I mean, you, there was some chickens there. Obviously, you see Joey Essex having a little bit of a yeah <laughs> of a thing. Obviously. Uh, Victor underscore Saki 30 is going to be receiving a um, bottle of Talisker single malt 10 year whiskey. And um, I think we're going to be running that again as we keep going on throughout this series. So uh, nice one, Victor. Sick. Well done, Victor. When everything goes back to normal, what have you got on? What's coming up? What's on the horizon? Well, yeah, obviously everyone's in the same situation right now in terms of, you know, their shows or their work has been put on hold. So everything will be pushed back until next year we hope fingers crossed um so yeah we're gonna have loads more shows um we're also thinking about releasing another album at some point i don't think it'll be this side of the year hopefully next year um because you know we're at home we've all got home studios in our in our gas luckily fortunate enough to have that so we're able to continue to work um so we're continuously making music every other day um, so hopefully a new album next year, um, some more touring. Um, and yeah, and I've also got some stuff that I'm doing on my own on the locksmith side of stuff. I'm, I'm bringing out a gym clothing brand or well, it's out now. Um, I think I've, I've sent yeah. you a 10 kg vest that should be in a post here. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> it, mate, <laughs> it's all inspired by you guys, you know, and uh, <laughs> it literally is so. Yeah, all that gear is uh, is going to be available. Well, it's available right now. Okay, so if, if anyone's interested, where can they find it? Yeah, check out my website, theycallmelocksmith.com. Uh, we've got, I say we, it's me. <laughs> I've got uh, 10 kg weighted tactical vest, phone rollers, and we've got some hats. There's going to be some track suits coming soon, T-shirts, gym equipment that you, you'd expect. Um, but yeah, it's all coming from me and all the designs and everything is me. It's actually doing my nutting how much hard work this is. I didn't think it would be this hard starting from the ground up, but it is. And it's uh, it's really good to see people wearing my bits. Awesome. So wrapping it up, mate, because it's been a bit of time now and I know you've got kids and everything. Ooh, so what's the best thing about what you do? What gets you buzzing in the day? Oh, in terms of work or just in general? Do both of them. Yeah, uh, in terms of work, I think it's the ability to make a difference in people's lives, you know? And that's that's something I've always wanted to do. I wanted to inspire and motivate people. Off the back of, like you mentioned, Ian Wright, he's my biggest inspiration of all time. You know, I've watched Ian Wright come from where he's come from 
and make it against the odds you know he made me feel like you you could you could achieve the impossible and that's what I've always wanted to make people feel like and I've managed to do that through my music and every time I make a song or we make a song I feel like that's that's my happiest moment you know and getting that out for people because you've got songs like not giving in I've heard so many stories of how that's helped people get through so many negative scenarios in their lives and then you've got people who just want to go out and we're able to cater for that cater for it all yeah definitely mate that is awesome um i'd just like to wrap it up now so cool man lucky you are a legend oh, i really, I, shit, I, really I appreciate you coming on i'll be you know i've watched you dig deep and deliver day after day after day on sas thank wins. you man and, truly and appreciate you des- that you deserve to be there at the end with lauren so oh, okay. mate, thank you that was a solid effort and i we can stay mates and catch up when this is all over. We'll be best friends. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice one, one mate. Foxy, man. Mate, take it easy. Awesome. You too. Thanks very much to Locksmith. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you don't already and follow me and the Book of Man for the latest news. Thanks again to Talisker for supporting this podcast and thank you all for listening. Take care and we'll see you soon. 